Thanks. It's really nice to be here. I just got to come down last night and uh, because of my daughter had a conflict, and this is it's really exciting to be here and fun to see everybody. Uh, I love IDAA. This is my fourth year, and I'm already looking forward to next year. Um, when we just said the serenity prayer, it made me remember about my first three months in Al-Anon. Whenever I tried to say the serenity prayer at meetings, I, I said it, and I have a really good memory. I can mem- memorize things fast, but I couldn't memorize the serenity prayer properly. I always said it, God, grant me the courage to change the things I cannot change. <laughs> I couldn't even say it the other way. <laughs> it took me months to get it right. It was so embarrassing. Um Codependency, I, I don't even like the word. It, you know, it came out of the recovery literature in the 70s. Uh, they noticed that people who had, um, who were addicted had family members that were upset about it. So they, when they were talking about alcoholics, they called them the co-alcoholic. And then they started talking about drug addicts and called them a, the co-addict. And then they just started calling both chemical dependency. So then it was the co-dependent. So I, I don't like the term, but it, it is a real thing. Uh, my favorite definition of codependency is this. Um, well, you know when you die, your life flashes in front of your face, but when a codependent dies, somebody else's life flashes in front of your face. <laughs> and, and that's the way it is. Um, when my husband first went to treatment, I didn't know he was addicted. I'd been in bed with a problem pregnancy. Uh, he had had a surgery, been in bed himself uh, several of the same months I was. We had a two-year-old that wasn't in bed, so it was a, a stressful time. <laughs> and he had become addicted to pain pills, to narcotics, and I had no clue. So when I found out about it, I was furious. I had married him when he was at the top of his medical school class. He was a you know, a straight, good guy, and I felt like I'd been sold a bill of goods. I was mad. I was I was devastated. I really didn't have the self-esteem to be married to an addict. You know, it just sounded so creepy. Um, so when... <laughs> well, it does. <laughs> when he went to, tr- to treatment, they called me up and suggested that I go to Al-Anon. And, uh, I, I mean, I just said... Well, I'll think about it, which was a pure lie, but I don't think I'll go, which was absolutely the truth. <laughs> I, there was no way I was going to go because I didn't even know he had a problem. Why should I do anything? So I was really disgusted, and for a whole year I wouldn't go. But a curious thing happened. I noticed that as every month passed, and he was very much into AA, he, he started going to church. I didn't understand any of it. But he was getting healthier and happier. But I was staying furious. I was just on a hair trigger to get mad at him. And it took about a year for me to, you know, and and when this would happen, he would just kind of gently, tentatively say, Annie, I wonder if you might just possibly, you know, just want to think about considering Al-Anon. And then I'd cream him because it'd make me so mad. 
But uh, after about a year, our baby was in the hospital, and I'd hit bottom. I got depressed. I was just at my wits' end, so I started going to Al-Anon. And it has been an absolutely wonderful thing for me. I love Al-Anon. I was struck last night that so many people, newcomers, said that they found themselves in AA. Well, I found myself in Al-Anon. I didn't realize it, but before, I really didn't know what I thought and felt and needed and wanted. I just, I didn't, I was so revolved around other people's thoughts and needs and feelings that I really lost sight of what my own were. So I found myself in Al-Anon, and I am a very grateful member of Al-Anon. Um, ooh. Um, let's see. What? Now, I became codependent before I even met Greg. And the way it began, I believe, is when I was eight years old. I was from a loving family, but when I was eight years old, my uh, older brother, who I absolutely adored, uh, had sudden death. And nobody knew he was sick. Um, my family really fell apart and, and never really fully reconstituted for many years. My mom had a very, very severe depression, and the focus of my life shifted from being a kid to trying to glue my mom back together. Another definition of codependence that I like is trying to control an out-of-control person, and you end up being controlled by them because you're, you're controlled by the out-of-control situation. And that's kind of what happened to me as a kid. Um, I, and you know I didn't have the power to make a grieving, seriously, clinically depressed woman happy. But that's what I thought my job was. And um, so I was just a perfect kid. And um, I lost sight of what I thought and felt and wanted and needed. I just became perfect trying to glue my mom together. And I learned a lot of bad habits in turn, that allowed me to put up with too much, uh, to be willing to suffer for other people, to lose sight of who I was. And uh, a lot of that came in very handy when I was dealing with addiction because those patterns just clicked right into place. So what I wanted to talk about are power and responsibility because those are issues that I had so mixed up and I've gotten a lot better, but I still can be totally thrown for a loop by confusion over power and responsibility because I'm still too attached to happiness of my family members. Uh, right now, our 21, no, she'll turn 22 tomorrow, 22-year-old daughter, uh, just graduated college with a bachelor's of, in fine arts in painting, uh, decided she wanted to be a starving artist. That lasted a month. And then she decided she'd go back and study science and go to dental school. <laughs> starving didn't sit well with her. But um, she has a dep- the, the biological tendency to depression and anxiety that runs very strongly in my family. And she is on the wrong medicine. Well, I know what the right medicine is. I happen to be a psychiatrist, and it makes me 
insane. I can't stand it to see my daughter suffering from an anxiety disorder that's not properly treated when I know what she ought to be on, but she won't talk to me about it. She says that's between her and her doctor. <laughs> and it is. <laughs> it is between her and her doctor, but I hate that. I absolutely hate that. And after she graduated and been starving for about two weeks, um, she decided she started dating this other uh, painter or let's see, artist and musician who was working as a cook, who's now unemployed, who's never been to college. She started dating him, and 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 within a month, she was talking about marrying him. Now I'm ready to pull my hair out. This child lives in Portland, Oregon, and I, so I very quickly relapsed back into my, all my old codependence patterns. I was thinking last night, you know, when they had the, the AA people say when their sobriety date was, I was thinking it's a good thing that I don't have to do that. I've been in the Al-Anon program 21 years, but my sobriety date's probably about half hour. <laughs> <laughs> I relapse all the time. Um, but I want to get to these issues of power and responsibility. And you'll see as I go through it that it's still very applicable in my life. And Al-Anon rescues me from my own insanity and helps me maintain some semblance of, of just serenity and able to function. Can you guys in the back see this, this little box? Probably not. Um, I'm, I, I just think in terms of graphs better. So this is basically a chart form of the serenity prayer, but it's a four box box. And in, in, oh, on the, I've never known my right from my left. I always know east, north, south, east, and west, but on that side, it's, you have power. In this column, you have power. So in this box, you, or in this whole column, you have power. On this axis, you act as if you have power. In this axis, you act as if you do not. And on this box, on this side, you have no power. And the same thing. Here you act as if you have power, and here you act as if you have no power. So in this box, you have power, and you act on the power that's legitimately yours. And I'm not talking about bullying somebody or lording it over them. I'm talking about appropriate power, appropriately expressed. If you have power and you use it, it really feels good. It raises your self-esteem. It raises your self-confidence. You feel good about yourself, and it brings a sense of well-being. Um, an example here is the 12 steps. I have the power to do the 12 steps and if I do them I feel energized I feel charged up because I'm working on something that I can change I can affect change in myself I can't affect change in Katie though I desperately want to I can't so if I work on myself it's energizing and it feels good now if I have power but for some reason I don't use the power that's legitimately mine to use it's in this lower box there's one chair right there. Somebody raise their hands where there's a chair. So, um, oh yeah, okay. Um, so here, if you have power but you don't use it, it feels just as rotten as this feels good up here. If you have power and don't use it, you f- can feel abused and used because often you are. Uh, you can feel exhausted and depressed, hopeless, helpless, worthless. 
miserable. It feels really de-energizing to have power and not use it. Now, an example there is I have power to set limits with my 16-year-old. And there's no reason in the world that I can't set limits on my 16-year-old daughter. And if I don't, I feel just yucky. I don't know why that it's hard for me sometimes. I guess because she has got me wrapped around her little finger and looks so pitiful when I set limits that I feel blackmailed. But I have the power to set limits on my 16-year-old. And if I don't, I feel rotten. If I do, I feel empowered and energized and feel like I'm being a good parent. So it really matters, you know. I have to keep straight in my head. Do I have power here? And if I do, I need to act on it. And if I don't, I need to not. Okay, so if, if, um, in this column, I don't have power. Now here, this is the box that I'm currently in with my daughter Katie. Uh, I have no power, but I care so desperately about her that I try to act as if I did. So when I try to act to change her, I keep bringing up, I mean, you'd think I'm brain damaged. I keep bringing up her medication with her. She will not discuss it with me. It makes her mad. Why do I keep doing it? it it's it's like a hamster on a wheel. I, I so want her to get better that I'll keep beating my head against a brick wall to try to accomplish it. It never works. It's never going to work, and I need to let go of it. But I have a hard time. So I don't have any power over Katie, but I try to act as if I did, which leads to ceaseless striving because I don't have the power to make it better, so I have to keep trying. Ceaseless striving, which is exhausting, which is frustrating. I'm trying so hard. How dare she not get better? You know, it makes me mad and depressed and miserable. So it feels rotten to have no power but try to act like I do. So what can I do? Because I don't have any power over Katie. Well, what I can do is get off her back and get a life, which is go back over here and act with the power that I do have. I have the power to go to an Al-Anon meeting. I have the power to work the 12 steps. I have the power to detach and let go. I have the power to get a life and enjoy it, make my life as good as possible. But if I choose to stay in the box where I have no power, I'm going to be frustrated and angry and depressed. Um, so if I have no power, what do I need to do? I need to move down into this box and act like I have no power, recognize it. The first thing is acceptance. You know, and I can fight reality for a long time. I don't want to accept that I can't help Katie because then if I accept it, I can't help her. Now, paradoxically, when I let go, it probably will help her, but I, I just have to, I fight reality. And I need to face reality and accept it and then let go and let God turn Katie over to God's care. You know, I had to hit bottom to get better. Maybe Katie has to hit bottom to get better, but it's scary. Um, and I need to detach from Katie and let go. Detachment is really hard for me. And I think I, the way I look at it is Katie is a... And I'm just using her as an example because that's the current issue in my life. But when a person is is having a hard time, I need to give them the dignity of dealing with it because they have the power to deal with it. They have the responsibility to deal with it, not me. I mean, what am I, God? I mean, you know, I don't. 
and I need to detach myself from her, which gives and and be as healthy and happy as I can, which makes the most positive environment for her to get better. Uh, right now, she screens my call, her calls. I know she, when I call, she doesn't answer. When her little sister calls, she answers. I've noticed this. I'm really smart on the uptake. <laughs> Quick here. <laughs> she doesn't talk to me because I'm anxious, and she doesn't like talking to an anxious mother. Makes her feel bad. Makes her feel worse. So if I take care of myself and am healthy and happy, that makes the most positive environment for her to get better. Um, and then if I detach myself from it, she has a more likelihood of getting better because my anxiety is not gumming up the works. Um, I'm going to, the same chart helps me deal with responsibility because that's another issue that I get really mixed up. And in this column, you are responsible. Whatever the issue is, it's your responsibility. And in this column, you're not responsible. No matter how much you care about the issue, you're not responsible. And the, what I've noticed is if you're not responsible, it's funny, you usually don't have power to make it better anyway. Um, so in this column, you're responsible. If I'm, what, what am I responsible for? What is it I'm responsible for that I need to act on? Well, I'm responsible for myself. I need to take care of myself physically, emotionally, and spiritually so that I can be a healthy, happy person, which is the best thing I can do to help people around me. Physically, I need to get enough sleep, but I'm pretty good about that. I need to eat well. And it's the funniest thing. When I get worried about Katie, I want to eat junk. Whenever I'm worried about anything, all I want to eat is junk. And then I feel worse. Weird. I don't know why I do it, but I do. Chocolate. Just want chocolate. But I need to eat well. And I need to exercise. I'm pretty good about that. Um, it really matters. I need to exercise. Um, I need to take care of any physical problems I've got and not neglect self-care, not neglect my health. Um, I need to take care of myself physically. I need to take care of myself emotionally. Oh, boy, do I need to go on dates with my husband. I need that. I enjoy it. I need it. I need time with my friends. I, I walk with my neighbor, and, and I need that. I enjoy it. Because I'm an introvert, I need time alone, and I need to provide that for myself. Um, I need to do. I need to go to Al-Anon. <laughs> I need to work the 12 steps. I need to take care of myself emotionally. And I need to take care of myself spiritually. And for me, I, you know, I need to, I go to church and, and am in a Bible study and in a women's group and go to Al-Anon. And for every person it's different, but every person needs to take care of themselves physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Because that's my responsibility. And I have responsibilities at home. When my husband was first in treatment, I had three little kids at home. And the, the more I was worried about him, the messier my house got. Now, the, I was a stay-at-home mom at that time. Now, whose responsibility was the home? It was mine. But I, I couldn't do it. I'm an ultra, ultra responsible person. But I can be so wrapped up in other people's responsibilities, or I used to do this. I don't do it so much anymore. I used to be so wrapped up in other people's responsibilities that I wouldn't do my own, even though I'm an ultra-responsible person. 
Um, so I need to focus on my own responsibilities. Now, if I'm responsible for something and I act like I'm not responsible, it feels really rotten again because you feel guilty and you kind of um, carry that responsibility around on your head for weeks at a time and it burdens you because you know you ought to be doing it and you're not doing it. And uh, it feels rotten. Now, if you're responsible and you act on the responsibilities, it feels good. It raises self-esteem and self-confidence and self-competence, and you feel good. If you're it, Now, what I t- have a tendency to do, which I need to work on in Al-Anon, is avoid. If something makes me anxious, I avoid it. And it can be, I do this at work, it is the weirdest thing. Some little insurance or Medicare quirk that, you know, they've sent me 95 letters and I can't read a one of them. I don't know what they say. It makes me mad, so I just put it in a stack and I avoid it. Well, then I carry Medicare around on top of my head for about two weeks. And it is such a drag to carry Medicare around in your brain. Then I'll finally get around to doing it. And then I just wonder, why did I avoid that that long? That was that brought me down for two weeks, and it took five minutes. Why didn't I make that phone call? I, you know, it, and avoidance always brings me down. And it's something I don't have to do. I don't have to avoid anymore. It, and, and in fact, it's the first thing I ought to do is whatever I'm avoiding. Because then I feel better about myself. What if something's not my responsibility? Like who Katie's marriage partner is. I am just near hysterical that she'll marry this guy. I haven't even met him. He may be wonderful. But he doesn't sound wonderful on paper. Um, (laughs) At all. So is it my responsibility what this child does? And her job choice. Do you know which job she's got? She's a cocktail waitress. She went, we spent, what, $100,000 for her to go to college to be a cocktail waitress. Okay. (laughs) I can't stand this. (laughs) Is it my responsibility what she does? No, it's not. She's 22. I have got to let go of her. And if I try to to hold on to responsibility, if I try to act as if that's my responsibility, I get frustrated because, again, I don't have the power to make it happen. So, again, I'm beating my head against the wall, which makes her mad and not want to talk to me and screen her calls and not answer mine. And uh, she doesn't like me being anxious and trying to manage her. Uh, it, it It is an insult to her. Because it is, it's insinuating that she is incompetent, which I happen to right now believe she is. <laughs> but it's still insulting, and I shouldn't do it. Um, and it's not my responsibility. I have, I must let go of it, and I need Al-Anon to be able to do it, and thank goodness I'm here. Um, so that I can go to some meetings and get this straight in my head and let go and turn it over to God's care. I can't fix her. And I have this, it is a very sick compulsion to fix. Uh, and you know, I heard a southern preacher say once, if you fix the fix God's fixing to fix you with, he'll fix another fix to fix you because he's fixing to fix you. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> At least you from the South think about it. You Northerners don't know what I just said. (laughs) Um, 
So I need I, this this compulsion to fix is sick. It's really sick. And Al-Anon, believe believe it or not, I'm a lot better than I used to be. At least I know I'm doing it, and I have a shot at stopping. Before I didn't know I was doing it. I didn't know it was not the right thing to do. I really thought it was my job to fix. I used to feel responsible for any problem I knew about within a 25 mile radius of my person. I really did. It is nuts. And that's how I would be so wrapped up in everybody else's responsibilities that I didn't do my own. And I really am better, and Al-Anon's is the credit, the reason I'm better. But I still have work to do. Now, what if I'm not responsible, but I care a lot about it? I need to move down into this box and not act. And, again, it's acceptance. I need to accept reality, not fight reality. And it's letting go and letting God. It's trust instead of faith, instead of fear. I go straight to fear, and I need to go to faith. And it's detachment. I need to let go and trust God uh, and trust my child to life. Um, I, I really, this is a terrible misconception I had as a mother. I really thought that I would be able to protect my children, that they wouldn't make the stupid mistakes I made. They would benefit from my superior wisdom, from having been through hard things. I could protect them. It doesn't work that way. It's just its disgusting, but it doesn't. I can't protect them. And, in fact, the more I try to protect them, the worse it gets because I gum up the works with my anxiety every time. Anxiety is destructive, and it, it damages them. And I, I, I'm bringing a mess when I bring my anxiety. And when I bring my faith, it helps people. When I bring trust, it helps people. Um, let's see. What time did this start? 10.30? Okay. I think, uh, let me see, I think I will go ahead and turn this over to uh, have an Al-Anon meeting at every table and uh, for people to discuss issues of power and responsibility or anything else that's pertinent that you want to talk about. And thank you very much.